Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Talking Foosball, the Aufstieg edition, your source for all things Bundesliga 2 and lower league German football. My name is Nick Miltang and boy do I have some show lined up for you today. We'll be hearing all about a trip to Rostock that was rather successful, Elvisburg are keeping surprising us, and hey, Arminia Bielefeld, for once we'll be praising them on this podcast. Well, joining me today is our tactics and Bovril expert, Jasmine Baba. How are you doing, Jasmine? Yeah, I'm good. Busy, but yeah, I'm glad Bovril has gotten a mention. If anyone who doesn't know what it is, give it a Google and message us to say if you would like the idea or not. Well, Mike quite certainly doesn't. <laughs> Mike joins us as well. Uh, Mike, do you at least like Iron Brew? Yes, indeed. But let me tell all the listeners today, don't Google Bovril. And if you do, close all tabs after that immediately. What happened when you did? I, I don't want to talk about that. I, I, I'm, I'm just disgusted of what I have seen <laughs> some minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, ammonia caramel colored flavor was mentioned. Anyways, we'll be right back with our segment about the Bundesliga 2. Right, here we go. It's time to dive straight into the Bundesliga 2 and Mike Spitzenreiter, Spitzenreiter. Hey, hey, you start getting used to that chant, right? Yeah, still makes you happy. Yeah. <laughs> and well, Rostock was up last weekend for you guys. And uh, well, that's always quite a trip, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And uh, for me, it was the seventh time to Rostock. And up to now, I had six defeats. Ooh. So I was wondering if it maybe I'm the one to blame. But this weekend, everything, well, well, not everything, but most of it went fine. And at least on the pitch, we celebrated a win. The first one since 2011. But we did not have that many games over there since then. But at least the last two years, we lost. Well, there you go. Now, I sort of allude to the fact that the two sets of fans aren't really on on friendly terms with one another so uh how did they react to each other this time around yeah friendly as always as you can imagine no of course i'm just kidding um there was a permanent scheiß st pauli chant from the home crowd a big scheiß st pauli display at their front singer's stage and of course the other way around also some who the fuck is hansa rostock chants from our side as well so from that point of view business as usual you might say in general, if you go there, you know it is a little bit like in the Netherlands, so there's no chance for a direct clash between the two fan scenes. This time, they had 900 cops on duty for that match. So if you keep in mind that at the moment there is a discussion in Germany over the police costs to be charged to the clubs directly, well, I would say Hansa would go directly into bankruptcy after this match. So there is no chance for them to, to survive that. Well, I mean, Werder Bremen already does so, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, it sort of puts Werder Bremen at a, at a massive competitive disadvantage compared to other clubs in the Bundesliga. I mean, there are certainly a lot of police costs amounting to a lot of euros all around Germany when it comes to football matches. Werder are the only ones paying them. 
Yeah, and of course, the problem with this is if you decide, okay, all the clubs need to share this and whatever, there will be a solution for this so you can deal with it. But the main important thing in this discussion is at the moment, the police itself decides how many people they bring to those games. And there's, I would say, in many, many cases, there is no need to bring these many police people to the football matches in general and even on this weekend if well we came with our bus to the station and we saw i would say 60 or 70 of these big police vans just to protect that area and you can't tell me that with i don't know 20 or 30 police vans it wouldn't have the same result. So why do they need these many, many, many resources? And as long as they decide for themselves how many resources they need, you can't charge that to the clubs. So no way from my point of view. <laughs> well, in Bremen, they do that. <laughs> Which is, you know, I mean, it's kind of funny. I remember taking my girlfriend a few years back to a um, match between Werder and Hertha and When we were just, you know, taking that walk along the Visa to the stadium and there was just policemen after policemen after policemen after policemen. And my girlfriend was like, oh, they're not arch rivals, are they? I mean, are, are the two sets of fans really hating each other? Why, why are there that many police vans here? And I was like, no, it's, it's German police. They always turn up to matches. Always do. Yeah, because they don't pay any entrance fee, so, well, <laughs> no. And, you know, they're just a lovely bunch. Um, I mean, talking about a lovely bunch of uh, Hansa's fans, did, did they have anything prepared for you this time around in terms of choreos? Yeah, well, not uh, specifically for us, if you ask them. So the thing that was discussed the most, also in nationwide media, was a big choreography in the home end that showed some of the local houses in the Lichtenhagen district, including the Sunflower House. Oh, what a coincidence. Yeah, I, I'm probably not everyone has that at his or her mind at the moment. So Lichtenhagen was the place of that very bad Nazi riots in 1992 when they attacked the house with that sunflowers on the wall where Vietnamese workers lived back then. And they set it in flames and there was a whole crowd of scum that celebrated this over days. And it was really, really big shame and one of the darkest chapters, I would say, in Germany after the Second World War and especially, of course, in Rostock history. And you might remember that I talked about this also after our last match in Rostock uh, one year ago, because at that match they had a, a big Lichtenhagen banner. This is uh, more or less a usual fan club banner that is there every single game but they placed it uh, for the St. Pauli game directly to the away section so which was just yeah well kind of provocation so and now there was a whole choreography in the whole home end stating Plattenbau Rostock uh, Plattenbau is the name of that building style of these big houses And on the right-hand side of that big picture, there was the Sunflower House again. And of course, they used a whole range of pyrotechnics and smoke, so that in the end, you could have the impression that this house and all the others is burning again. I will leave the rest to your imagination. From my point of view, it's a total shame. And on the other hand, they came up with the explanation that 
This was just because there is a fan club called Plattenbau Rostock and they celebrated their 13th anniversary and this is the reason why. Well, yeah, okay, you can believe that or not. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know what to believe her, honestly. Jasmine, now you're more of like an objective on what when it comes to them pounding and how they're doing in the Bundesliga too. I mean, how impressed are you with them currently, going that they still haven't lost after that many match days? Um, very. I think I've said it quite a few times before. They seem just head and shoulders above the rest. I'm still surprised that they're not further ahead at times. Like, they're only three points ahead of Hamburg. Only four points ahead of third place. But in terms of the way that they play, one of the better, or the best defence in the league, Artels. I wouldn't say carrying, but by far the best performer of the team. I mean, if you look at just different, like stats like chance created, it's always Marcel Bartle there. So it's not really surprising. Carol Metz is also having a really good season. So I think that's just the only thing I know that they're unbeaten. But there's still that one too many draw that you can't completely rule out that they're definitely going to win. Even though their gameplay is so good, you can never rule that out just because it is the spite of Bundesliga. And we've said it before, this is a very crazy league. We can see what happens to her Meisters, whoever comes top into the winter break, can fall away. But yeah, still very impressed and doesn't seem like anything phases the team. Well, HSV is up next, Mike. I mean, how heated is that Stadt uh, going to be this time around? It's a particular, you know, on the background of what Jasmine just said about how good some party have been. Yeah, well, ask me again next week. The big game is up on Friday and I think we are ready for that. So we are unbeaten in competitive matches for 21 games now, including the Cup. On the other hand, last defeat was the away game at HSV. So, of course, it would be a hmm, funny coincidence <laughs> if we lose again. So, But I think after the last weekend, what you can also say is that the worst thing that could happen to us is that they equalize from a point perspective. So, on the other hand, we could go six points clear or at least keep the distance. I'm sure... This will do something in everyone's minds. And it's a huge advantage for us that we are going into this game with a three points lead. And of course, it's a home game for us. So I am really, really looking forward to Friday. I mean, for me, I'm looking from sort of somewhat more neutral perspective. I, I, I can't neutral. agree with that. As a Werder fan, you are not neutral. No, not entirely neutral. No, you know, I want one side to win here quite clearly but i might not be as vigorant in my support for one of the two sides there but i think <laughs> on the onset that the positions are quite clear that hsv have to win this they must win this match in order to you know not you know drop into third or fourth and you know have a sort of whole the usual ham hsv shenanigans going again for the next couple of weeks about you know everything the sky falling down well, St. Pauli, they want to win this match, but they don't have to win this match. Question is, which position is better to be in? 
I prefer our position. <laughs> well, there you go. Also, just a quick one. It would be pretty bad, even though they don't have to win this game, it would be pretty bad if this was their first loss of the season. Sure. I think like, it does something for confidence, especially you in Hamburger. So I think there is that slight extra riding of pressure that if it's a draw, fine. But if Pauli look like they're in a great position to lose something because it's their first loss of the season and there's basically the equaling of points, then that can knock a few pegs off confidence. True. Anyways, moving on, Ellsberg. I mean, I mentioned them last time around, but, you know, they keep rising and rising and rising. Suddenly, they're just a tiny smidge behind the promotion places. You know, I mean, if Hamburg loses, suddenly Elvisburg pops up right next to them. Who would have thought at the start of the season? The question, though, is how have they done it and can they keep doing it? It's kind of funny that you say that because we're basically avoiding another team that's also in the mix. Well, two other teams that are also in that kind of mix. But we'll focus on Elvisburg for first. I think they got, I don't want to be a fun sponge. I don't want to be like, oh, this is why they've done it or, and it's a really boring answer. But we know how they kind of dominated the third league was, they kind of spent money. They had a bit more money than other teams. They had better investments into their team. And it's not quite the same this year. But they have used really clever usage of the loan and free agency market. So getting Paul Vanner off by Munich on loan is one example. Figuier is another example of Stuttgart. So they have quite a high quality team for the second league. And they just have a element of surprise. No one knows what to expect for them. They're quite flexible in the way that they set their game up, both in counter-attack, they can be quite direct, and they can play quite a nice intricate possessional-based football. So that is why they've kind of taken these teams by surprise in the second league. And also, I'm not sure if this will last. We've seen quite a few teams do this in the past, but people start to figure them out. So I don't know if it will be enough. But it's probably worth pointing out that Greuther Furt has also done a, quite a similar run. They're on the same points. They have the same wins, draws and losses and have won their last four games in a row. So I swear a couple of weeks ago Furt was nearer to the bottom, but are also in the mix for the promotion. I always like Dusseldorf, but I always say they're a bit too inconsistent for me. So now we've got those two and we can never discount any team in like ninth or eighth after the whole Verde Prime season coming back from several points behind to get promoted. So that race for third, I honestly don't think anyone comes close to Pauli and Hamburg. And so right now I'm saying the race for third is quite open. But, but hang on, hang on. I mean, if Hamburg loses... A whole host of teams that can, you know, equal them on points and, and Kiel go actually past them. Yeah, by points, but I'm talking about gameplay and quality. Yeah, but I mean, we've said that about HSV like every fucking season. It's like, you know, they have the yeah, best players and they, they you know, they're crushingly superior in every match and then they go on losing to Zantausen. Yeah, but they came third. 
said they did come third the last year and the other year they weren't close and then came third. They always chased from behind. Not always, but the last few years they've been chasing from behind or had been third or thereabouts. Like, does anyone see Dusseldorf do it? No, they're so inconsistent. I had them and Schalke in my top three, I think. Yeah, I think I did the same, but... I was unwilling with Dusseldorf. I've said that from the start. They're so inconsistent every time. And they're like, they go on a good run, beat Kaiserslautern, and beat Braunschweig. Okay, it's Braunschweig. And then they lose 3-1 to Wiesbaden and Grotefert. And even against Schalke, they looked shanky. I honestly, Fert look really scary. And if you look at like, you know, the kind of metrics people have like come top in. Yeah, there's... A Dusseldorf player in Robin Hoyser in Chances Created. But, like, quite a lot of the other ones are Boyamba from Alphersberg, Martinovic from Alphersberg, and loads of Hamburg players coming top of those. Marcel Hartl, as I said before, coming top of those. And less of Dusseldorf. I just... They lack something. And it's like this every year and it's always like this with Daniel Toon so I just I I never liked I want to like Dusseldorf I really do but there's something about them but never comes up so my money would rather be on someone that has no pressure on them like Elfersberg or Fert. Thank you for bringing it back to Elfersberg because you know I I was sort of like just sitting here thinking well hang on I started off asking something about Eldersburg and HSV and suddenly we talk about why Dusseldorf are shit. <laughs> <laughs> How did we get there? There's the race for third. You wanted to say why yeah, yeah, if yeah, Eldersburg yeah, could come third and then Kiel won against Kaiserslautern or something. Yes. But I should care for Kiel. I didn't mention Kiel once, but I obviously don't care for Kiel. All right then. But hey, Mike, wouldn't it be fun if it were three northern teams in the top three places and HSV losing in the promotion playoff? Yeah, definitely that would be fun. (laughs) I have a question though. Would it be fun or would you actually like the Hamburg derby to be a Bundesliga match? In no way. (laughs) I want Hanover to go up as well. So we have Pauli, Hanover and... Holstein Kiel. And Hamburg. (laughs) So you have Werder, Hanover, Wolfsburg, Pauli. Yeah, but I mean, Wolfsburg are a bit like a northern German side, like RB Leipzig is the east German side. It's just, you know, something that was stamped out by a multi-billion company that, you know... Yeah, but there's still big, so it's just basically we had hardly any north teams. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Yeah, and now we have all of them. It would be quite fun. Yeah, but I do like the German rail and therefore I have no problem with going on an away trip a little bit longer. And what you need to keep in mind is... We never, ever in the whole history of these two teams played one league above the HSV. And if you ask me, do I like the Hamburg Derby in the first division? Well, they might come up in one of the next seasons, but to have the chance to play just one season above them, that would be really, really sweet. So I would definitely prefer that if I do have the choice. 
That's fair. I mean, it's sort of like being back at the time of the Wonder Elf. Yeah, that's a long time ago. <laughs> Which was just after the Second World War. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, that that's pretty much the only time when some Pauli sort of really wiped the fall with Hamburg in yeah. the two clubs' history. So, and um, the two of us remember that. But, yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> I do look like a chap who likes a bit of Bovril and, uh, you know, a pretty healthy dose of pills keeping me alive. So that's Elvisburg. And uh, moving on to another northern German club, Osnabrück. They're definitely not going to get promoted this season. I think I'm fairly certain in that. But hey, they fired Tobias Schweinsteiger. Now, Mike, you said that Schweinsteiger surely should have some money in the bank. After all, he took them up. You know, he became the coach when things were pretty dire, actually. So he turned the thing around in the Dritte Liga, turned what looked like a relegation candidate into a promotion side, and now he's gotten the boot. That's correct. And to be honest, I still don't really know why. And we do have this funny discussion going on in Germany at the moment, every time when a coach is fired, that he has lost the locker room. <laughs> and this is what has been said about Tobias Schweinsteiger as well after he was dismissed. And to be honest, I think this is such a shit statement and it's just because you need to say something and uh, this is just the phrase that is being thrown at the media at the moment. I'm really not sure if this was a good decision. I think you need to take a look at the squad and if you bring in, I don't know, Pep Guardiola and who else, maybe Osnabrück would also be in the same table position at the moment with every other coach and it's not to be a Schweinsteiger to blame it's they are just not better than that but as uh, Pep Guardiola and Jose Mourinho were not available they now do have Uwe Kushinat and maybe he will turn things around we will see one thing I want to pick up on before I go into Uwe Kushinat um what you basically say is that he's sort of the victim of his own success in the Dritte Liga after getting promoted to the Bundesliga 2, because as you quite rightly say, their squad is not built to, you know, play at the top end of the table. Far from it. I mean, you can get Michael Cousins and say, ooh, look, got a guy who has a Bayern past. But so do a lot of sites in the Dritte Liga. Yeah. So that's really just a bit of a knickknack that really doesn't mean anything meaningful in terms of the development of the team or the quality of the team. I mean, the quality of the team is pretty much towards the lower end of the table. We always knew that they were fighting for survival. And as it turns out, there are a couple of teams that have done a better job on the transfer market than they've done. Even Schalke, yeah. <laughs> well, even them. But that's not to be a Schweinsteiger's fault, is it? I mean, if we just sort of spin out another scenario, like... Dietrich Schulze-Mermeling did on Facebook, the German football writer, he said that, you know, if Schweinsteiger, if he wouldn't have gotten promoted with that club, if he, you know, would have just finished fourth or fifth, and he would have taken them to another sort of sixth, seventh or eighth place finish in the Dritteliga, he would still be in a job. Probably not an Osnabrück job, though. Mm. I think... <sighs> mm, what can I say? Well, I don't think he's lost the locker room is correct half the time. I think it could be more possible with him. I want to know whose idea it was to get Mikel Cuisance into the team and if that was his decision or someone else's. 
I don't think it's the worst team. I think they did make some good deals to be in the second league. Although I do like Schweinsteiger's style of football. I don't think it's bad, but it's very specific. It's very comes from buy-in, principal, youth, 4-3-3, strong six, etc. And when it goes wrong, it goes wrong, as we've seen. I mean, the only team in the Bundesliga 2 that doesn't have an answer to that sort of football is, you know, right now, HSV. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hold on. So there's a few questions that I want answering from that. But what I do want to say is that I really... Really hate that Koshinat's back in the fucking mix because <laughs> of the. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Koshinat because I can say a bit more about him and getting him confused with Aloy Schwartz like I do every fucking year. Seems like Groundhog fucking day again. And by the way, you know, just to interject something here, I mean, unfortunately, we're not a video podcast because our listeners really should see Jasmine right about now because she's really wagging her finger and, you know, going like, oh, she gets that. Oh my gosh, no. I just, every <laughs> fucking podcast, like he, him or Aloe Schwartz gets brought back into the mix. I'm like, which one's fucking which? And now we've ended up here again. He got relegated with Bielefeld. He got absolutely smacked in the relegation with... Annihilated. Annihilated. The fans rioted. They made Fabian close to, like, retire, and then he came back for no reason because they brought him away in the third league. Before Koshinat was announced, I heard Sheila was a candidate too. So, yeah, I don't know. I think Osnabrück's just kind of gone. I think we can kind of count that out. I know Koshinat's, like... Sandhausen master of staying safe, but after his Bielefeld stint, I'm not really impressed by that. I mean, what we can say, it looks more fun going, you know, mountain climbing with Andre Schürrle than watching Koshinat football. Mm, yeah. But anyways, uh, the fans. That really was interesting because Osnabrück are down at the bottom end of the table. You know, they're five points from the relegation playoff. They're really down in the dumps. But the fans, the fans are actually not saying, great, let's get a new guy on board. They're saying, you idiots. Why did you fire one of the best coaches we've had in ages and one coach that really has shown that he identifies with the club? You shouldn't have done it. Well, do the fans sometimes know more than the board? Or some boards at least? Oh, well, if he did actually lose control of the locker room or did get a bit feisty with some of the players and the players aren't listening to them, then they don't have a point. And people in the clubs sometimes know a little bit more of the situation more than outside it. But we don't know that for certain. We can only speculate. So going forward, we'll see Uwe Koshinat's football, which uh, basically is inspired by the old saying of Alexander Ristich, who said, What? Four at the back? No, I play with ten at the back and a keeper. You mean Alex Schwartz? <laughs> Alexander Ristich was a coach in the 90s. <laughs> but yes, it's, uh, you know, it, it went Ristich, Schwartz, and then Koshinat. Anyways, I think this is it for part one of the show. We'll be right back with the lower leagues.
Right, here we go. It's time to talk a little bit about the lower leagues and, well, a lot of uh, horrible stuff going on in the Dritte Liga. What happened at Hallesche FC? I mean, this is really a dreadful story. Mike, can you tell me what happened? Yeah, it's it's really horrible because there was the league game between Hallesche FC and SFC Saarbrücken. And yeah, well, the home team lost, but even worse, there was a Halle fan that needed reanimation during the game in the first half. And uh, later that day, he died in the hospital. So, yeah, really, really sad and horrible. As usual, in cases like these, both sides stopped their support after the medical incident was communicated. So I think every single time when you when you say that football fans are just brainless idiots, you need also keep in mind that most of them really do have a brain and that they act really, really responsible and very, very good in cases like these. But of course, it's a horrible thing and no one should go to a football match and die. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes a life cannot be saved, even if you have medical help right at hand. But yes, it's uh, obviously great to see that German football fans really do possess that gift of, you know, knowing when to uh, keep quiet or support their team in a different way. I mean, the other day, and this is another story entirely, there was that incident in uh, between Bochum and Köln when the Köln fans, you know, got into a bit of a police clash at the entry gates. The entrance to the stadium was, you know, going painfully slow, all down to a police fight. The ultras left after, you know, pepper spray was once again used, which uh, tends to become a more and more common theme at German football grounds. It seems like the police goes wild with the pepper spray. But anyways, but you know, I mean, Bochum... And Cologne is not a fifth local rivalry, but it's sort of like a Nordrhein-Westfalia sort of game. And usually the Bochum fans keep singing about how useless a club Cologne is, about you know it being a carnival club, but they didn't do that at that match because, hey, there was something going on at the entry and that wasn't all right. So they sort of just kept supporting the team. And it's great to see that that sort of thing goes on at German football matches. But anyways, moving on, Jasmine? You have another horror story as well from the Dritteliga. Yeah, unfortunately, it was quite a big weekend in the Dritteliga. And it was first versus second in the Dritteliga when Dresden hosted Regensburg. Dresden before the game was first and Regensburg second. And after Regensburg found a winner in the very, very late in injury time to go top of the league at three points clear of Dresden. Some fans found themselves in some more trouble after the game when a 82-year-old Dresden fan uh, drove into several pedestrians who were coming back from the game. So one was seriously injured and one only lightly injured. So hopefully those fans are on their way to recovery. It was a family coming back and... The one who was lightly injured managed to push away their 10-year-old son, even though he was injured. So hopefully they're all recovering well and quickly after that game, but sad to see after a game that the fans were in trouble after that match. They had to go through the, the loss and then also got very seriously injured afterwards. So yeah, hopefully they pull through. They do. Yeah, this is sort of like uh, when, you know, 
the news is filled with dreadful, dreadful stories, and uh, at the end they're just sort of showing pictures of kittens. That's sort of brutal change I'm going to do now. <laughs> the good news section. <laughs> but, you know, actually, you know, we've been rather hard on Bielefeld this season after they got relegated. And, I mean, there was even talk on this podcast about, hmm, maybe they might be the team that might get, you know, relegated three seasons in a row, end up in the Regionalliga West. But, hey, I just found out that they are the only team in Germany that has an own lounge for fans with autism, which I think is absolutely fantastic. I mean, fans with autism, they have sort of different needs than the usual fans. But to include them in such a way with, you know, designing a special lounge to them which caters to their every need, it's fantastic. Yeah, you're right. As a resident person who has autism, I'm surprised, actually, that, first of all, this is not a new news segment. This was opened in 2019. What's surprising for me is that I'm more used to this as a concept because there's quite a few British clubs that have this. I know Arsenal has a sensory room for people with autism. I don't know if it's at only children or for adults too, but there's several clubs that have sensory rooms for people with sensory disorders and autism for more of their disabled sufferers so they can still enjoy a match. And I did a bit of digging. I'm not sure if I am completely correct in this, but I'm still believe, even though this opened in 2019 at Bigelfeld, that they're still the only club, professional club, to have such an autism room or a, well, they call it a snurzel room, which is basically, um, what's it, cuddling and something else, cuddling and snoozing. It's basically a sensory-free zone, so they can watch the game without sound, and it's basically less stimulating, so you don't suffer from the same oversensory stimuli that you can normally get, and they do a fantastic job at basically briefing if you need to use the room, so you can arrive in a way that is less stimulating where there's less people. Because for a lot of people with autism, that they find it quite stressful when a lot of people are around to go to these and use these rooms. But yeah, in 2019, they were the only Bundesliga team to have such a room. And when I was digging, they are still the only team to have such a room. I don't know if that's still true, but I couldn't find any other teams having one. They mention on their site that this kind of room does not exist except in England. At in This was in 2019 and they had a lot of support from companies around the area. So Elektrofassabend and Abrotech and Rock Cafe Bielefeld, who not only helped supporting them setting it up with what they used within the room, but also financially. And I think a lot of outside pressure could maybe force other clubs to do a similar thing. I think it's an absolutely fantastic offer that they've put forward. You know, we know that there are a lot of fans with autism who follow football, but who are prevented from going to the stadiums because these sort of rooms don't exist everywhere. I mean, this is actually rather rare outside of England, 
I think at some point Bielefeld was the only side on the continent to have such a room. I, th- I don't know if, if it's still true to this day. I mean, some other cops uh, somewhere around Europe might have followed suit. But the fact that this isn't a common occurrence, or uh, that this isn't a common thing at German grounds, or at grounds in general in all over Europe, is a shame, really. Because, you know, you want football to be inclusive. People with autism should have the chance to go to football matches. And, you know, making it easier for them to go to football matches might be a good thing. Yeah, of course. And, well, people with autism go to football matches. I know that. I do have some St. Pauli fans where, where I know that they struggle a lot with the situations in the stadium and they, they found a way to manage that. I know we are not a movie podcast, but maybe if some of you do have the chance to uh, go to a cinema in Germany, there is the Wochenendrebellen film, uh, so the movie about the so-called Weekend Rebels. And this is a young kid who is trying to find his football team. And he decides, I can't choose a club for myself if I haven't seen all clubs in Germany. So at this at the moment includes the first three leagues. And he goes on a journey with his dad, visits all the clubs in the first three tiers. And of course, <laughs> I don't want to spoil you, but in the end, he will not find a club because he has certain rules. And one of these is you should not make a team circle at the beginning of the match. You should not have a mascot. You should not have football boots with another color than black and so on and in the end sensible rules sensible rules yeah, and <laughs> all of them sensible rules and, uh, uh, i do like that but in the end no team qualifies for that so it's a really really wonderful film i know these guys in real life and they are fantastic people and if you do have the chance to get a copy of that movie at home or to go to a german cinema yeah i'm sure at a certain stage This movie will be copied in the US, uh, maybe then going to a football or baseball match. But the story is really, really great. And the most important thing, it's not fiction. It's a real story. So you can also go for the book, of course. Great. And uh, hopefully this movie will stream on a streaming service near me very soon. Anyways, a couple of more things that I actually have on the list for the lower leagues. And one of them is actually a little club called Pocholt. They suddenly topped the Regionalliga best with seven points. I mean, ahead of the season, every one of the coaches was asked by Kicker who's going to go up, and the answers invariably were either Wuppertal or Alemannia Aachen. Now, though, Bocholt with Dietmar Hirsch, Dirty Dietmar, as I like to call him, and that is actually back from his Eldersburg days. Google that for yourself. You know, they won three out of the first four matches and suddenly they're on 39 points, seven points ahead of the second place team. Who the hell are they? I mean, the Regionalliga West has sort of always had great teams like Wuppertal, Alemannia, Aachen, Rotweiss, Essen played there a couple of years ago. But now, Bocholt. Yeah, but Nick, among us, you should know. I should Because Bocholt was the first team that caused a home defeat of Werder Bremen in the second Liga. Ooh. Back in yes. 1980. True. <laughs> I was born in 86. <laughs> so I should remember. Yeah. 
Well, let let me fill in the gaps. So first of all, they are also playing in the Regionalliga West. Like you said, it's uh, a smaller club. I wouldn't even say that they do have a big history because they, they played there in the second league that days. But that's a long time ago. And if you take a look at their stadium at the moment, it's the Giga Arena Stadion am Hünting, as we all know, of course. And the capacity at the moment is 5,000. So I am not that sure that if they qualify from a sport perspective, that they are allowed to play in the Zweite Bundesliga. Or if they do, then they probably will not play at home or at least not for very long unless they do build up the capacity to... I think the minimum normally should be 15,000. There are, of course, some exceptions like for Elvisburg, but Elvisburg now needs to build up 15,000 in the end. So that might be, apart from all the sport challenges that they may face in the next couple of months, might be the biggest challenge for them to bring up a stadium that is allowed to play in the second Bundesliga. It's the third league, of course. Sorry, I was one league <laughs> ahead already. But even for the third league, you will have huge restrictions that you need to fulfill first. Anyways, we might want to follow them going forward because, what do you know, suddenly we might get a very, very new name in the Dritte Liga, which is always fun. Maybe they'll play in the Bundesliga too when Werder are playing there a couple of years from now. Or maybe, but uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Anyways, you know, I, one last thing I wanted to do for this week is actually introduce a new segment. I mean, usually our podcast comes out... Uh, Tuesday or Wednesday and at that point it's not that long until the next weekend. So I think going forward we'll should introduce matches to watch for the next weekend. What to watch, when to watch, how to watch it you'll have to find out yourselves. So Mike, what matches would you suggest anybody <laughs> should watch? Am I right in thinking that you'd pick a Friday night match? Yeah, my Friday night match, of course, would be... Let me have a look. Darmstadt versus Cologne. No, just <laughs> kidding. Of course, Friday, you should watch St. Pauli HSV kick off 6.30 European time. Jasmine, what matches would you suggest for this weekend? Let's say Saturday, then. Okay, I will go Magdeburg-Kaiserslautern, just because Kaiserslautern are still thereabouts there's also Nuremberg Dusseldorf which both teams are thereabouts in the top half of the table so both of those and Sunday Dresden who have lost two in a row in second place take on third placed SC Fail so who are in third so if Dresden win that there's still seven points in second Regensburg with now 10 points off third of promotion. So if there is, then also when that, I don't see anyone else really qualifying for the first two. Well, I mean, there's another good one on the Dritte Liga on Saturday as Rot-Weiss Essen are taking on Sandhausen on Saturday at 1400 CET. Uh, that might actually be available to stream online, I think, internationally. So uh, check that one out. Actually, I have a couple of Regionalliga ones as well, and those might be a little bit more sort of ground hoppy. I don't know if they necessarily are streamed online or at all, really. But first of all, there is the BSG Dynamo Berlin against BSG Chemie Leipzig match on uh, Saturday, which uh, kicks off at 1600 CET. Which, uh, you know, it's sort of like a right-wing, left-wing Berlin versus Leipzig derby. 
you will have a police presence at that match, I'll tell you. <laughs> Probably also have some pepper spray presence, yeah. Yes. You will have that. So if you are in Berlin, for God's sake, go to that match. But, you know, be a little bit cautious. I mean, those two sets of fans really hate each other with an unbridled passion. So it should be a good game. For the more and the Regionalliga Südwest, there's actually sort of like a, a local derby. It's Eintracht 2 against Kickers Offenbach. I mean, Kickers Offenbach are Eintracht Frankfurt's fiercest local rival in a sense. It's a local arch rivalry, but Kickers Offenbach have obviously fallen on hard times then. The fourth tier, Eintracht Frankfurt, are still in the Bundesliga. I mean, this used to be a Bundesliga match, but now it's, you know, Kickers Offenbach have to play Eintracht Frankfurt's second team. But I think both sets of fans are going to turn out. It's going to be an absolutely magical light probably and that one kicks off at 1800 CT on Sunday so if you're in the Frankfurt area go and watch that anyways any other suggestions for what people should watch this weekend mm, if you're in Hamburg on Saturday morning you can go to the U19 derby between HSV and St. Pauli so that might also be quite interesting great if you don't want to watch any football might as well just you know, start watching or finish watching Succession. Just finish watching the fourth and final season in that program. Anyways, uh, this is it for another edition of Talking Foosball, the Aufstieg edition. Guys, always a pleasure having you on. Uh, Jasmine, quickly, where can people find you on social and where can they find your work? I don't think I have any work anywhere. Terrific. So <laughs> More time uh, for podcasting then. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't do any written work anymore what's the broadcast work that's that's the thing i'm going for but if i do follow me on underscore jasmine han on x or other social media things i think you can find me i don't know have you gotten married no not yet but soon coming up soon coming soon name change soon name change pending then uh mike trickenware I assume your name will stay the same. I am married already. <laughs> <laughs> no plan for a name change. Yeah. And you can follow my work at the Milan Tone. We are present at all usual social media accounts, but the Twitter, formerly known as X or the other way around, account has gone into a, well, Passive status, only new articles will be shown, no communication any longer, so you better follow us on Blue Sky. Well, there you go. There it is. Uh, you can follow me on X still, uh, at Norm Musings. I'm not really all that active there. You can follow the podcast at Talking Foosball. Make sure to leave us a review on iTunes. And this episode has been produced by Aiden Runtill. We'll be back next week talking about the Bundesliga. Until then, it is goodbye for now. <laughs>